0: You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, Can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, Ride On with Julie Goodnight. I appreciate you listening. You know, I've been traveling a lot lately, and every time I go to horse expos and clinics, I get some great comments on the podcast, and I really appreciate that. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an upcoming episode. And please help me out by going to iTunes or Google Play and give me a five-star review. That would mean a lot to me. I'd like to thank Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast and for keeping it free to listeners. You know, smooth stride riding jeans are my favorite riding jeans. I wear them everywhere I go. I practically live in them at home. Speaking of home, um, I'm home now before I finish up my spring clinic season. Uh, later this month in Norco, California. And after that, I'll be at home for a couple of months enjoying my summer break Uh, We've got lots of big plans to get horses worked and to produce a lot of uh, new media for our websites and for this podcast. And uh, later in the summer, Rich and I will be headed to Ireland for a six day riding adventure, uh, we'll going with a bunch of our friends and we're joining up with a um, riding vacation operation there called Connemara Equestrian Escape. So we're pretty excited about that and looking forward to that. And then. Also during my summer break, I hope to have a little bit of time to spend with my new horse, my two-year-old. I bought this spring. Um he is, uh, he's a quarter horse, bred to be a cow horse. His registered name is uh kind of long and, and wordy, so he, we just named him Pepperoni. That's his barn name, and we call him Pep, Pepperoni, or Pepperoni. So I'm looking forward to spending some time riding him and uh, getting some training on him this summer. So today's topic is that you've already made up your mind that the horse you have is not the right horse for you. So what now? On the last episode of my podcast, we talked about going through the process of making the decision of whether or not the horse you currently have is the right horse for you. And there's a lot to talk about on that subject. And so if you have not listened to that podcast, before we talk about what to do now, you should go back and listen to that podcast and kind of make sure that you're on board with that decision. This question actually came from a listener of the podcast and she said, uh, how do I know when I should give up on this horse Or how do I decide if this is the right horse for me or not? So we talked about that in my last episode. Go listen to that. And today we're going to talk about you've already made that decision. And now it's time to to figure out what do I do now? And before we get started on today's topic, it's time for Stride by Stride with my friend Desiree from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans.
1: Does I got to tell you that uh, one of the reasons that I really love the cut of the jean is because it comes in adequate length for riding, and so I learned a long time ago, as most horse trainers um, have, Western horse trainers have learned to do. We like our jeans really long because we know that once you sit on a horse they get quite a bit shorter than when you're walking down the street. So I love that your uh, jeans not only come in all those different sizes, but you can also order three different lengths depending on how you're built. Because although I'm only 5'4", I have a really long inseam for someone my height. And another Mm -hmm. person could be 5'4" and have a much shorter inseam than me. Um but so as far as what I can see the three links that you offer uh really uh cover every size rider. Yep, they
2: uh, the thirty one inch, thirty three inch and thirty six inch, uh those three choices are working very well for us. And yeah the you know the angles when you sit in the tack with the bend of the knee and the bend of the hips and all that it does shorten them up. So uh I am very happy that we offer a 36 inch length because not only does it help to keep the pant down, even though the design again in the lower leg, um, it the the pattern itself uh, encourages the no riding up of the jean. But um, I'm really happy that that you're happy with the length for sure.
1: Well, one thing I've noticed about that lower leg is that uh, even if I hop up on an English horse. Um, with the smooth stride riding jean on. I don't really have to stop and put on half chaps because the uh the lower leg seems to stay down and smooth. Um so i uh, it's comfortable for all types of saddles. Another thing that I just thought of when you guys were talking with um an instructor that if she ever forgot her half chaps she would wrap polos. Oh yeah, polo wraps. We've done that a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i put them under my jeans, too. Yeah. Um, I, I used to uh,
2: ride, when I galloped race horses, I would put one of those they're, um, those tight elastic, um, kind of like a, a knee guard or a leg guard, that I would put those on underneath mm-hmm. my jeans to protect my lower leg. And I would literally wear those things out and have to get new ones. So <laughs> we've all been there, huh? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we've got the... Uh, the micro suede with the extended knee patch jeans it, that works like a built-in half chap um and so especially for english riders you know me being an english rider um because of the stirrup leathers they're different from western stirrup leathers the uh extended knee patch really add protection to the inside of your calf bicep, so you're not irritated by the uh english stirrup leathers and so and with the full seat that's the same thing so Again, it uh, eliminates another piece of equipment that you don't have to put on and off, which is a possible half chap. You know, you, you can two of the three styles have the, basically built-in leg protection right there. So for endurance riders, they're it's wonderful, or for ladies who uh, spend a lot of hours out trail riding, you know. So thank you. Yeah.
0: So you've made the decision. This is not the right horse for you. And now we're going to talk about going forward. How do we disperse of this existing horse? And what do we do next? How do we find a new horse? So first of all, let's talk about this existing horse. And for whatever reason, you've sadly come to this decision that it's just not working for you and it's time to move on. And so the first thing that has to happen is you have to figure out a responsible resolution for the horse you currently have. So we're gonna talk about that for a few minutes. As I thought through this scenario, I could basically only come up with three sort of categories of what's gonna happen in terms of dispersing the horse that you have. You know, a lot of people, uh, most of us, can't just keep collecting horses. So if we're going to get a new horse, We've got to first uh, responsibly rehome or sell or replace the horse that we have. I came up with three possible scenarios um, depending on why it is that you're getting rid of this horse. And so first of all, could be a horse that is dangerous, has insurmountable training issues, or is um, irreparably lame and so basically this is a horse that you're not going to be able to sell um, and you're really not going to be able to donate that horse uh, given him, give him to someone or donate him to any kind of uh, non-profit um situations so those and those basically are the three categories so if we're looking at dispersing the horse we have Either um, it's a horse that is going to be difficult to deal with because it's lame, unhealthy, or dangerous, or it's a horse that's sellable, or it's a horse that is donatable. Uh, In other words, I'm going to be getting money for this horse, uh, but he is useful to someone out there, or or I can rehome him to some sort of situation. So let's talk about the dangerous and lame horse first. Obviously, that's the most difficult horse. Um, to to deal with and I think it's really really important to keep in mind that the only option you have is to be responsible and honest and upfront about this horse whether it's lameness, whether it's health, chronic health issues or um, whether it's got some dangerous training problem. Now let me let me talk about the dangerous training problem first because, I feel like sometimes horses get put into that category that shouldn't be there. There are many, many horses out there that just need training or that have gotten kind of screwed up in their training and they need sorting out. And just because you can't handle this horse or you can't retrain this horse um, or just because it didn't work for you um, does not mean that that's a defective horse. So if this horse just needs to have better training and, um, if he just has a temporary problem or he's just too much horse for you, then in my perfect world, that horse would go to a trainer and would go to a qualified and successful experienced trainer that was experienced in training all types of horses, not just performance horses, Um, And that could give you an honest and um, objective evaluation of that horse's training and take you out of the equation. So he won't be evaluating this horse for you. He will be evaluating this horse for anyone. Is there any rider out there that this horse is suitable? What are the holes in this horse's training that make him unsuitable for you Can we fix those holes and then make this a marketable horse? Remember, we don't want to throw away horses. We don't want to dispose of horses and we'd prefer not to euthanize horses, but we have to find them a proper home. And so it's all over the map what that proper home might look like. If this horse is, is chronically lame, is he healthy enough that he could be a companion animal for another usable horse? Um, so there's there's all kinds of resolutions, but I think that if it's dangerous training, that is the question mark on this horse, or or he a lack of training. Then I think you owe it to yourself to spend, you know, let's say a thousand dollars on getting a good evaluation done on that horse. Um, that ought to buy you, you know, at least 30 days of training, maybe a little bit more. And I would want to know from that trainer, what's it going to take to fix this horse? What type of situation could you envision for this horse? Um, you know, could could he be fixed enough for a youth rider? Could he be fixed enough for someone to just follow another horse on a trail ride? Is it hopeless? Um, But you need a professional evaluation of that horse. And if it's fixable, you owe it to that horse to get him fixed before we look at putting him in the sellable or donatable category. If that horse is truly evaluated to be dangerous to human life, then you need to consider the possibility of euthanization or some sort of retirement that permanently takes that horse out of circulation. And honestly, the latter situation just doesn't really exist. There are a million horse rescues out there that have too many horses already. Uh, my father raised me that there are, are too many horses good horses in this world to mess around with dangerous ones. So if a horse is honestly and professionally determined, all other means are exhausted, and it's determined that this horse is so defective in its behavior or temperament or experience that he's going to hurt somebody or kill somebody. Then, you know, we really seriously have to consider euthanization of that horse. So, the, I think very few horses are going to actually fall into that category. And if you are looking at that, you probably need to be working with a horse rescue that specializes in this sort of thing. So, we make sure. Um, before we give this horse a life sentence that that that's really an accurate diagnosis and in my experience very 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 few horses are going to fall into that category If he's fixable by a trainer and it's only going to cost you a thousand bucks fifteen hundred bucks I think you owe it to that horse to do that um, and then we can move that horse into a different category of sellable or uh, rehomable If that horse is permanently lame and it's a chronic, or progressive lameness like navicular we really have to consider a quality of life issue on that I do not believe in nerving horses I I just I don't think that's right and you know some people on these chronically lame horses they will sever the nerves in their legs so that they can use the horse for a few more years um, but that horse still has a chronic lameness it's just he can't feel it anymore and so, you know, those horses can be ridden to the point where their feet just blow up, their legs, you know, bones break, and I just think that's wrong. I'd rather euthanize that horse. So I think it's important to look at the quality of life again. Enlist the help of your local horse rescue experts. Pay them, you know, fifty bucks or whatever to come evaluate that horse and is, you know, get an evaluation from your vet. Um, vets do not like to euthanize he- healthy horses and I don't blame them one little bit, but if that horse is chronically, if that horse is in pain every day, uh, he can't lay down cause it hurts too bad to get up. These things like that are signs that that horse, um, it will be better off, um, euthanized. So that's a possible outcome. Sad, but, um, we're fortunate that we can take away the suffering of those horses. So, that takes care of the first category of a, and I don't, I don't mean to label those horses or place judgment on those horses, but let's just say it's a vague and general category of a horse with a defect in some way, and you cannot lie or hide a defect. You have to be upfront and honest about it, and so we have to find the best possible resolution for that horse. So the second category of um, dispersing this existing horse would be a sellable horse. And again, just because this horse is unsuitable for you does not mean he's defective. And you need to be you need to be honest with yourself about that and honest with others about it. Don't put a label on a horse he doesn't deserve. If you just bought a horse that's too much horse for you, meaning he's too sensitive, he's too forward, he's not well enough trained, Uh, You have confidence issues. You're not that good a rider. You're not that strong. Don't put a label on that horse. Um, Just because he's not right for you does not mean he's not right for another rider. So when I'm looking at selling a horse, the first thing I always do is I, I think of the horse first. Who is the perfect rider for this horse? Who is the perfect owner for this horse? And I make them up in my head. You know, it's 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 a younger woman. Maybe she's um, rode as a youth rider. Maybe, but she's still young and fit. She wants a horse that's energetic. She wants to trail ride. Um, make up that person in your head, and then we then we'll look at marketing to that person. If you are not comfortable selling a horse, there are you know definitely. And the horse is not defective, meaning you're not hiding a problem with this horse. He's healthy, he's sound, um, and he's he's got adequate tra- training to represent him as such, um, whether that be finished or you know, greener, a trail horse or whatever. Um, if you're uncomfortable putting that horse up for sale yourself, there's plenty of horse traders out there who'd be happy to sell that horse for you. Currently, uh, at least here in Colorado, it's a seller's market. There's there's a ton of people out there looking for horses. There's a shortage of good using horses. So if you've got a good riding horse, um, I would sell that horse. Craigslist, people have good luck on Craigslist. Um, I like to kind of sell. Um, I like to see somebody ride the horse and make sure it's a good fit. So I, I would prefer to sell a horse locally. Um, but there's all kinds of different situations for selling a horse. Um, if he has minimal value, you're looking at 1500 to $2,500 price. Um, if he's a finished horse with no riding problems, has good experience and competitive skills, he's certainly worth more than that. Um, you know, and a lot of factors come into the value of the horse, so I'm not, I don't want to get into that. But putting that horse up for sale, use the internet by all means, make sure that you um, You're upfront and honest with the horse, but don't put black marks on a horse that doesn't deserve it either. So there's a fine line between disclosing everything about the horse and, um, and misrepresenting a horse. So, um, give good, good, solid, truthful information about the horse, but you don't have to, to reveal your failures with the horse. Um, so, so just leave yourself out of it is what I would encourage you there. So, the third category I could think of for dispersing a, a horse that you've decided is not the right horse for you would be to either donate this horse to a nonprofit operation or to give the horse away to a suitable home. So, let's talk about donation first. Um, donation to a nonprofit is a great resolution for a horse that has usefulness. No nonprofits want a horse that is lame or defective. So don't even think that if the horse is a little bit lame, you're going to find that therapeutic riding operation. Every day, people are trying to donate lame horses to that operation. They will be interested in good, solid, sound, healthy horses. They don't have to be finished horses, but they have to be calm, gentle, tractable, um, and suitable to therapeutic riding. But beyond therapeutic riding, you've got summer camps, you've got heck, just youth, youth kids, for age, um, local kids. Um, there's all kinds of people that would be interested in having a horse for either really cheap or free. But we have to make sure they're qualified financially. They have a place to keep that horse. I would want to go see that place. I would want to make sure this is as just as good a resolution for that horse as it is for the people. If you're looking at donating the horse to a nonprofit and taking a tax deduction, um, I believe you, you would definitely want to get some professional advice on this, but I believe the general rule of thumb is... They can write you a receipt for up to $5,000 without getting an appraisal on the horse. If you have a super nice horse, let's say a show horse, and he's sound and he has value above 10000 you can get an appraisal done on that horse. And it's just a matter of jumping through hoops usually to get an appraisal. And then you can write that horse off on your taxes to whatever value he has. So that's a viable consideration. Look at your local um, therapeutic riding, your youth camps and things like that, that are non, you know, registered non 501 C three nonprofit operations that might use horses. But again, if they are well established, they get horses offered to them every single day. So they're going to be picky. So keep that in mind. If you're going to give away a horse, let's say he's got a certain lameness or maybe he was in an accident or something that left him unrideable or kissing spine or something like that, he's other he he has suitability as a companion horse for another horse. You may find an individual owner that has one horse, but they have the capacity for two and they want a companion animal for their existing horse. Um, I would consider working through your local rescue. If you have local rescue operations, you know, preferably not going to burden the rescue with that horse, but they might be able to give you good advice. They might have people on their adoption list. They might have people that would foster that horse in their rescue. So definitely contact your local rescue, ask them for advice, Um, offer to help them if they can help you. Um, so again, there's rescues all over the place, but there's different kinds of rescues that have different mission statements. Um, so you want to look for one that's looking to repurpose and rehome horses, not just collect horses. Um, and and that uh, that has the right values that align with your own. So that's all the things I can think of right off the top of my head for dispersing an existing horse that you might have. You know... It's hard to come to the decision that this is not the right horse for you and that you need to move on to a different horse. It's hard to make that decision and it's really easy to feel guilty about it. But I have a couple things to say about that. First of all, your needs and your happiness matter too. You didn't get into horses to have more headache and more stress and more frustration in your life. And for a lot of us, we're at a age and a station in life where we can't afford to get hurt. Uh, Our personal safety is the most important consideration for yourself and for the loved ones around you that depend on you as well. So don't beat yourself up over guilt on this. Your your needs matter, number one. Number two, don't get off on this trip of thinking, I can't get rid of this horse cuz I'm the only one that can give this horse a proper home. Get over yourself. There are tons of people out there that can give, give this horse a proper home. And guess what? If you're not happy with this horse, he's probably not very happy in the relationship either. Um just because you're not the right horse for this person or you're not the right person for this horse doesn't mean he's not the, you know, that there's not a right person out there for him. Today, we talk about the Right Horse Horse Initiative. It's a program I'm getting involved with. It's a new program, and it's really focused on rehoming and repurposing horses. And just because this horse isn't working for you doesn't mean there's not another great situation, maybe a better situation out there for this horse. And just because this wasn't the right horse for you, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means it was a relationship that didn't work you're, it's unsuitable. You're unsuitable for each other. And so let's go find a solution for you and let's go find a solution for that horse. So the next part of this subject is finding your next horse. You've made the decision to move on from the horse you have. You've found a great resolution for rehoming or repurposing or selling that horse. And the next step we've got to Get a new horse for you. And so, you know, keep in mind that everybody that listens to this podcast is going to have a totally different situation. So I'm not going to get into a lot of details of finding you, your perfect horse. I just want to give you some general ideas of what to think about and where to look. But first and most importantly, before you move on to a new horse, I think you really need to take an honest look back on... What led you to the situation you're in now? It's important that you don't repeat the mistakes you've made before. Um, it's important that you don't end up with another horse that you have to rehome or sell or repurpose. So we need to really make sure we find the right horse for you this time around. So there's lots of things to consider. First and foremost is you as an individual rider... Um, what type of riding are you going to do and how often honestly are you going to ride? So if you're only going to be able to ride once a week, then you need a whole different type of horse than somebody that's going to be riding five or six days a week. You need a horse that's so solid and set in his training that he can sit idle for weeks on end and you can just drive up to the barn, throw a saddle on him and take off that's a different animal than one who is going to be younger, more energetic and riding hard every day. So you need to consider yourself first. What type of riding are you going to do? What discipline of riding are you going to do? How often and how hard are you going to ride this horse? If this horse is going to have very little or light riding, that's one category of horse. If this horse is going to be ridden a lot, You know, like five, six days a week for more than an hour every day, going to clinics, going to horse shows, that kind of thing. That's a totally different category of horse as well. So um, also what level of rider are you? Be realistic and be objective. Um, So I I can think of kind of three or four different scenarios here. One is a total beginner. Again, that's going to really dictate the type of horse that you get. You need a super, super gentle, very well-trained horse. That's suitable for a beginner. Are you an intermediate rider that needs to learn more about riding? So you probably want something that's well-trained, more of a finished horse that can finish your riding skills, that can teach you how to, how to ride at a higher level. Or are you that really advanced rider? Again, that wants a horse that has a lot of performance potential. Uh, Maybe you're that really advanced rider and you want a horse that's more sensitive You want a horse that's more forward, has a little more go. Um, And then the third category um, would be riding skill plus a lack of confidence. So if you are that advanced rider, but you've lost your confidence, especially if that relates to why you're getting rid of the horse you have now, Um, then that's going to put you in a different category as well, because you probably need a really well-trained horse, but you need a horse that's not going to challenge you in any way. And a horse that you can feel that can first and foremost, build your confidence. So those are kind of all different categories of riders I can think of. But first and foremost, before we start looking for a horse, you need to really sit down with pencil and pen, evaluate yourself as a rider evaluate the type of riding you want to do and narrow it down and really be realistic about it. Don't be pie in the sky about it and think, Oh, well, if I have the right horse, I'm going to suddenly start riding five or six days a week. Be honest with yourself. Are you really only going to ride once, maybe two times a week? Be honest with yourself when you evaluate the type of horse you need, because this is going to really come into play on making sure you don't end up with another horse that's you that is unsuitable for you the next thing I'd like to mention in terms of finding your next horse is if you're going to spend money on anything you should be spending money on training and experience you want a horse that has been there and done that you want a horse that is so well trained that he already knows how to do anything you're going to ask him to do Ideally, you want a horse that's so well-trained that you can learn from him. Like, let's say you don't know how to do flying lead changes. Well, get a horse that already has that skill. You can learn that skill from him. And that applies to every advanced riding skill I can think of. So if I'm going to spend money on something, it's going to be on an advanced level of training, but not just training because you can buy a three or four-year-old horse that had a lot of training but he has—he's not old enough to have had life experience. He hasn't been anywhere. He hasn't been to horse shows. He hasn't been hauled around. He hasn't been lived at multiple different homes. Um, that's what we call seasoning and experience on a horse. And it is always cheaper to buy a seasoned horse than it is to put that seasoning on him. So seasoning implies that that horse has been hauled everywhere. He's been on trail rides. He's been on camping trips. He's been at horse shows. He's been to clinics. He's maybe had two or three different owners. So he's lived in different types of operations. Um, that horse is a totally different animal from a horse that is maybe four or five or six years old. But he's lived at the same ranch he was raised on. He's only been to, you know, maybe one little horse show or one little clinic or something um that horse he that has has lived his whole life at one facility um he might ride like a dream there but as soon as you haul him to a new location he's like a raging maniac because he's never been off the farm and it blows his mind so seasoning really matters. Training level really matters. And before I spend money on color or breed or pedigree or anything else, I'm going to look to training and experience on that horse. And so and that kind of leads me to one little caveat I'd like to give. If, if when you're thinking about getting a new horse, the first thing that pops into your mind is color, or a fancy rare breed, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. I'll just be upfront with you about this. If what you want is a good, safe, reliable riding horse, get color and fancy breeding or fancy color or rare breed. Get that kind of stuff out of your head. That should be the last consideration of the horse that you look at. Um, So... I'm not saying that the the right horse isn't a fancy color or isn't a rare breed. I'm just saying that that should be the last part of your consideration. Safety, reliability, training level, suitability to the type of riding you want to do, suitability to your confidence level, suitability to your dominance level. Meaning if you're a totally passive person and um, this is, and this horse is going to walk all over you and take advantage of you. Almost any horse is going to do that no matter how well, how, how well trained he is. So you need to find a horse that is so submissive that even you can't ruin him. So, um, keep, be honest with yourself and keep all these things in mind. How much money are you going to have to spend? Well, you know, first of all, let me say that, as far as looking for a new horse, you should also work with your local rescues. Look for rescues that specialize in repurposing horses that actually have evaluation and training training programs as a part of their rescue. And it is quite possible you could find the perfect horse for you and not even have to spend that much money on that horse. Um, There's lots of horses that are coming into rescue operations these days that are safe and reliable, but they need to have been evaluated by a professional and you need to have spent some time with that horse to make sure he is indeed right for you. If you're going to purchase this horse, um, there are reputable horse dealers out there. I would not have qualms about dealing with if, if it's a horse dealer that's been in business for a long time and is standing on a very good reputation, I would have no qualms about using that horse dealer. In fact, I would rather use a person like that than just a total stranger and, and or buy a horse off the Internet. Be very cautious of Internet purchasing. It's one way. It's one thing to find a horse for sale on the internet, but I would not buy a horse that you not had not physically inspected and had a vet check done on it. I wouldn't acquire a horse for free that I didn't have a vet check done on because you don't want to inherit a problem of another horse that has a defect that you don't know about, or you can't get rid of. So um, if you are going to spend money on a horse uh, there's no rule of thumb here. I think that, um, you know, it is a seller's market right now for good, qu- high quality horses. Um, in the low end range of horses, there's a lot of horses at the, say, 2,500 and under range uh, might be good good horses there that are for sale that just aren't fancy in any way, aren't registered in any way. Um, so they're not very expensive, um, some of those horses might be gotten for cheaper because they just need to disper- disperse of these horses and they don't have a lot of dollar value. But once you get up into the five to $10,000 range, there's a lot of well-trained, decent horses in that range at $10,000. I expect to be able to buy a pretty finished, healthy, um, relatively young horse, meaning 12 to, you know, 10 to 13 years old. Um, so That's kind of gives you an idea of how much money you're going to have to spend. If it's really going to be your dream horse and you're going to uh, show and, uh, you know, be competitive, you're probably looking at 20,000 and up. So where to look, I would look in your classified ads. I would look online. I would look everywhere. I would tell everyone I would contact trainers in your area, tell them what you're looking for, see if they have anyone anything for sale. I would work word of mouth really hard. There's a lot of really great horses that are are standing around in pastures not being used. Um, and the owners, they don't, they don't really actively think about selling them. But if you say, I mean, just today, uh, I have a friend that's looking for a nice horse, good, safe, reliable broke horse. And I was talking to a friend of mine who sells a lot of horses. She says, Hey, you know, we've got one that fits that category. Honestly, I don't know if my husband's ready to part with him, but I'll ask him because we have not used this horse in a couple of years and he's too good a horse to just waste away. So there are horses out there. So be sure to work the word of mouth network with your friends um, and with farriers and vets and all of that. So it's a lot of work to find a new horse. When you do find one, you want to watch watch them ride the horse to see if it meets your criteria you're going to ride the horse to see if it meets your right criteria. You're going to look at that horse at least one more time before you buy it, uh, preferably an unannounced an visit. Um, but if it is a good horse, jump on it because the market is hot right now for good horses. Um, so if you pause too long on that horse, um, it's gonna, somebody else is going to jump in there and buy him. If you do look at that horse the first time and he does seem to meet all of the criteria for you and you you want to secure that horse, just ask the seller if you can put a deposit on the horse, put a $1000 deposit on the horse until you can get a vet check done. And then make sure that that agreement includes that if you do not pass the vet tra- check or you do not pass the trainer's uh, evaluation that, that you get your money back. Um, and again, I would get a vet check done on any horse, even if I was going to adopt a horse for a rescue, unless they had already had their vet check the horse. Um, even if that horse were free, I'd get a vet check on it because you don't want to inherit a chronic physical or illness that you're going to be stuck with. Um, and finally, I would encourage you to To pay a trainer or a riding instructor to evaluate that horse for you, pay them their private lesson fee, whatever it is, 50 bucks, 75 bucks, to come look at that horse with you, to ride that horse and give them their honest opinion. If they're trying to sell you a horse, you're not going to get an objective opinion, so preferably use someone that has no connection to you buying a horse or to this horse's for sale to get an honest, professional trainer's objective opinion on that horse. And now it's time for What The hey Q&A. So today we have a question from a listener. Megan, you want to read the question for me?
2: <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so today's question comes from Stacy Lynn Fitzpatrick, and her question is about
1: cantering. She says, my boy goes into the canter pretty good, but when he's wanting to stop and I ask him to continue, he'll give me a little sass and a little buck. How should I admonish that behavior at that moment without making it worse? Thanks in advance.
0: Okay, well... First of all, that's a really good question. What was her name again? Stacy. Stacy. Excellent question, Stacy. I know exactly what you're talking about. Something I see every day in every clinic that I do. And actually, it's um, you know, it speaks to a bigger issue. And it speaks to an issue that I've been sort of pondering a lot lately and talking about a little bit. Um, I believe that we have an era of an epidemic of horses that do not have a work ethic and your horse falls squarely into that category. So just a review, you can get the horse into the canter just fine, but he only goes a certain amount at the canter before he starts threatening to break gate. And at that moment you say, no, no, no little boy, you have to keep cantering. And he says, no, I don't want to. And so, he bows up and he throws a little buck and he um, he starts displaying what I would call threatening behavior. Um, the behavior itself doesn't probably really bother you. It's not that scary, but it's the threatening of bigger bucks and the threatening of worse behavior that is giving you pause for thought. So, you know that this horse needs to be admonished. You know that this horse is being disobedient in that moment and he's refusing to go forward and so your question is you know how do i admonish him without turning him into a bucking bronco and good question (laughs) so if you do go overboard it will be like throwing gas on a fire um so i'm going to come back and address that in a minute but i wanted to address the bigger picture here and this picture is going to apply to far more people than just someone whose lazy horse doesn't want to continue cantering. So, an obedient horse goes at the speed chosen by the rider on a path solely dictated by the rider without any argument. So first and foremost, this horse is disobedient and this horse has been improperly taught that he gets to say how fast he goes. And you can imagine what a bad precedent this is to set with a thousand pound flight animal. So in your case, the horse is lazy and so he's threatening to break gait. Um, in another case, that horse may be a very forward horse with a lot of go. What if he gets to pick the speed he goes? Now you got a problem that's just uh, with a horse is taking off whenever he wants. So in no way, shape, or form do we properly train a horse that he's allowed to, to make these decisions. So you've got a much bigger problem that you need to address way further down. You need to address this in every encounter that you have with the, the horse, both on the ground and in the saddle. So here's the way we train horses. Once I've told you to do something, when uh, a riding horse, once I've told a riding horse to do something, like go at this speed in that direction, he should keep doing that until I tell him to do something different. If I am to, having to tell him to constantly keep going, he's a disobedient horse and I am complicit in his disobedience by condoning it, by, by telling him to keep going instead of admonishing him. If I have a horse that just takes off and increases speed whenever I want, it's the same thing. It is disobedient behavior and it needs to be addressed as such. And so for instance, if I've asked my horse to trot and he trots a little ways around, maybe he trots for five minutes, but then when he gets tired, he just breaks into a walk. If I don't admonish him in that moment, He starts thinking he's allowed to decide when he doesn't do that, when he speeds up or when he slows down. So I think you need to look in all areas of your relationship with this horse and try to figure out why he thinks he has the right to decide when he does something and when he doesn't. And I guarantee if he is giving you this kind of sass at keeping going at the canter, um, you've got some other issues as well. There's something that is leading this horse to believe his behavior is optional or his response is negotiable. And that's a bad place to be because it keeps getting worse. And just one more thing I'll say on that is sometimes it's hard to find these little places. If I were watching your interaction with your horse, I'd be seeing every step of it. Oh, there she yielded to a space. Oh, there he made the decision, not her. He walked off when she mounted without a cue. He walked off because the horse in front of him, he stopped because the horse in front of him stopped. You know, we constantly give away authority and leadership to our horses. And you're doing that somewhere with this horse. So find all of the holes. Secondly, and specifically to answer your question, uh, you know he's disobedient in that moment. You know, I think from what I read between the lines here, that it is not your job to pedal him. It's not your job to telling to tell him to keep going. When you once you ask him to canter and you come into a following seat, meaning you're just riding that canter. He should keep telling, keep cantering at that speed and in that direction until you tell him to stop or slow down or speed up or turn right or left. So if he breaks gate voluntarily, that is not only a disobedience, but it is one of the most major and fundamental disobediences of a riding horse. So he deserves an admonishment, um, what I would call a little spanking of some sort. And when I say spanking, by the way, I mean that figuratively. I mean, the horse needs to know you admonished him. What? Um, but he's already threatening to buck. He's already maybe shaking his head and giving you a little sass. Um, so he's challenging you in that moment. And he's saying, I don't believe you make me. So in that moment, because you're at the canter and he's already um, threatening to buck, I would not lay leather in that horse or lay spur into that horse or, or spank him with a whip. All I would do is urge him to go more forward. And so in that moment, what he is doing is resisting going forward And all you have to do to fix it is to make him go more forward. So I would reach forward. I would softly close my legs on him. I would start pumping him, clucking at him and saying, nope, we're going to keep cantering, keep cantering, keep cantering. Um, so ride through that moment. Don't throw gas on the fire. You don't have to spank him and yeehaw him and slap him with the reins. Just ride him forward. Just insist that he go more forward. What I would do in that moment is actually make him gallop. And so if every single time he gets resistant, is threatening, disobedient, and sassy, he actually ha- actually has to work harder. And then as soon as you feel him moving freely forward, you're going to let him stop in very short order. He will no longer do that. So what you need to do is change the opinion of this horse that if he doesn't want to canter, all he has to do is move freely and willingly forward forward. And you will let him stop. If from this day forward, you never stop that horse from the canter, except for at a moment when he's moving freely and willingly forward, you will no longer have this problem. Um, And just one more thing I wanted to say about the um, bucking and sassing. Um, When you ask him to move forward in that moment You don't have to make a big fuss of it, but you do have to make that horse move more forward. And um, you want him to learn to associate every time he gets sassy and resistant, he's going to have to work harder. So you really want to actually urge that horse up into, uh, what I would call a hand gallop, or what anyone would call a hand gallop. Um, so just a little stronger than a canter. So, um, so he learns to associate hard work with sassy behavior. So those are all the things I can think of to, uh, get you, get you moving in the new direction on your next horse. Uh, I'm sure that you have a million questions to ask for here. So be sure to comment, As you listen to this podcast and uh, who knows, maybe we'll answer your question in the next podcast. So thank you very much and enjoy the ride. Thank you to Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast. They make it possible for you to listen for free. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.